This is the day the Lord has made. That's right. Well, I have been looking forward to being back with you. I've actually been out of town all week. Uh, beautiful city of Cincinnati. I, I told a few of the guys this, but I, I got to tell you. Uh, I asked Auburn, our littlest girl, I said, so dad's going to Cincinnati. What would you like for me to bring you back this week? And she goes, where are you going? I go, Cincinnati. She goes, nothing. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, when a 10-year-old kid come up with something. I, it's a beautiful town. I even used the word beautiful. Had their chili and everything, but there was just nothing she wanted from Cincinnati. So, And I got to come home, do a few hospital visits. We got a few people in the hospital. Got to do a wedding. It's been a very busy weekend already. And I'm very excited about this message today that we're going to be talking about. It's called Serving a Broken World. Serving a Broken World. And I want to start off with a story. And I'm going to tell you some characters in this story. And as I'm telling you this story, I want you to think who you would be in this story. Which character do you identify the most with? story takes off like this, that there were several men at the YMCA and they were talking. And they were going through just general news stories that were happening that day. Athletes, they were talking about uh, some of the local news, they were talking about salaries, everything that was going on. And one of the men said, I basically think that the entire world is very selfish. And another man said, well, I don't know if I fully agree with that because of something that I saw yesterday. He said, I go to the same store every morning to buy my cup of coffee and my morning paper, and I've gotten to know the store owner very well. And yesterday when I went into the store, his eyes were full of tears. So I asked the store owner, I said, what's, what's wrong? And he goes, oh, I'm just so very happy. He goes, well, what, what, what made you so happy? And this man said, well, the store owner said, do you see that bench over there for the bus? He said, sitting right there, Every day, an elderly woman would come and sit on this bench. And she'd sit there for two hours, and she'd never get on the bus, and she'd never uh, get off of... I mean, she just sat there, and she would knit the entire time. And the store owner said it just was so consistent, she was so peaceful when she would sit there, so finally, he went over to talk to her. And he started asking questions. Why do you come to this park bench? Why do you watch the people get on the buses and off the buses, and you never actually go anywhere? And he said that's when the store owner found out about this elderly woman that her son left on that bus and has gotten married and has a baby and she believes that one day that son's going to come back and she wants to be there. In fact, everything she's knitting is for that grandbaby she's never seen. Well, the store owner was walked back to his store in tears and he told the guys, he was saying, he goes, yesterday I was watching that day and when the bus pulled up, guess what I saw? I saw her son get off. I saw her wife get off, holding that new baby. And he said, I will never ever forget the joy that I saw in that woman's face to hold the grandbaby for the very first time. And then today, she didn't need to come to the bus because they were together. So the guy was telling this story back to his friends at the YMCA and said, I really don't think that the whole world is selfish. Now, if you think about this story, there are three characters in this story. The first one is the man at the YMCA who said, basically, the whole world is selfish. And it's all about me. It's all about my career. It's all about my family. And I have really no regard for anyone else. That is a character that, if we had a cartoon analogy for this, 
I would draw this person in just black and white. He would just be a black outline figure. You would recognize him as an outline of a man, but there would be no color, no action, nothing going on to his life. Because even though he's going through life, his life is very one-dimensional. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. How much do we see that in the world today? That everything is for me. We do things for others so that we can return, get praise or position or promotion, but the motive was not really a generous attitude. There's a second character in the story that I wanted to tell you about, and that was actually the man who went to the store and got to talk to the store owner. And he actually got to see that there is unselfishness in this world today. In fact, he got to share in kind of the warmth of the story. And if he was a cartoon character, I basically would draw him as a cartoon, but I would put some color into it because he's able to enjoy some of the warmth of life. He was able to share in a great story where compassion and a great ending to a story happened. Third character in the story was the store owner. And the store owner was the one who actually saw all this happening and was able to be moved by tears of joy. You see, there's one part of the little story that I didn't tell you. The man went back to the store the next day and he said, I've been thinking about what you told me about the reunion that took place. And he said, I just have a question for you. He says, as a store owner, did you send that son the money to come see his mom? And he said, that's when the store owner just welled up with tears in his eyes and said, yeah, I sent the money so that that family could be reunited. You see, not only did the store owner see a need, but he sacrificed not only time and money to make sure that something would go right for that woman. Now, to me, if that was a cartoon character, that is a cartoon character that's not only full of life, but is in movement in life. Not static, not one-dimensional, but three-dimensional. Because not only did he see a need, but he was able to help somebody reach and fulfill the need. So today we're going to be talking about serving a broken world. And I want you to be thinking about, really, if you had to characterize yourself as one of those characters, which one would you be? We know probably a lot of the first ones where everything is selfish, everything's about themselves. We also probably know a lot in the body of Christ that can share somebody else's story. What happened in generations ago. And man, there were great moves of God. And all oh, some of the stories that I've read about Pentecost and some of the, the great revivals. But we're just sharing somebody else's story at that point. And then there are those very few that are the storekeepers that see a need, see something that is broken in this world and go out as a servant to fix that situation. So it's important that we see the roles that we need to be taking today. Where do we want to be? Where do we want to be living our life? What do we want to be experiencing? To me, I want to be experiencing the full color, full effect, three-dimensional life that God's created us to be. I want to make a difference in other people's lives. And that's what our purpose in life is coming from, touching other people's lives. See, it's almost like a point where I want to invite you to come off of the couch and stop watching TV and to actually get into life. Think about this. 
we might have our favorite TV shows. And you might have a favorite movie. In fact, one of the conversations around the dinner table with a lot of my coworkers, they were all talking about their favorite movie. But it made me realize that no matter if I go and I watch my favorite movie or I watch my favorite TV show, nothing in my life has changed. Do you understand? You can feel great. You can cry. You can watch Titanic and be in a depressed mood all day long. As I told you, I watch that movie backwards. It starts out slow, but at the very end, they're all happy and alive. But you know, that's just the way I like to watch movies. The point being, though, is you know how a movie will affect you. But it does not affect your life when it's over. We mentally take a vacation for 30 minutes, one hour, two and a half hours. And Hollywood is recognizing that. That they are building lives, but it doesn't affect us. We sometimes go there just to escape. But when we go back to our real lives, all the problems are still there. All the situations are there. And I see the body of Christ today just watching everything on TV. Saying, oh, isn't that horrible? Isn't that horrific? We should be doing something about that. And then they turn the TV off and they go right back to their lives. And there was no effect done. Nothing changed. There was no growth in our lives. So it's important that we understand that the body of Christ is time for us to get involved with others. I have seen that success in our lives can actually isolate us from other people. Have you recognized this? I mean, honestly, as a nation, we are one of the most blessed nations in the world. We take for granted all that God has done for us, all the freedoms that we can enjoy, all the privileges that we have. In fact, God has been talking to me about, Mark, detach yourself from the physical things of this world. Wow, that'll be a really great book one day if I write it, huh? (laughs) My wife might even buy a copy of it just to see what I wrote. But the point being, though, is we, we have that attitude of collect more. And God's saying, don't worry about these physical things. Focus on the spiritual things. Focus on lives. That's what you're taking with you, Mark. That's your inheritance that you're going to claim, not how many cars or houses or or 401Ks that you can build up. But our priorities in America today have become so focused. Many people cannot answer this question. What difference have you made in anyone's life? What difference have you made in anyone's life? I asked myself that quite. In fact, even Kristen quoted me last week. And baby, you did a really good job last week. I I was going even over some of your notes in my head this week. But it's true. My tagline, if you get anything from my Yahoo account, says most people want to make a living. I want to make a difference. That's my tagline underneath my signature. Because everywhere that goes, I want that to be read. Wait a second. Why are we going through life? What are the motions for? Is it just to make a living or is it to make a difference? If it's to make a living, I wouldn't be doing this. I'd be focusing more on my software sales. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. But even this week as I was going and I was praying for you guys, and, and we had more things happen this week. You wouldn't believe. I, told, I was joking with some of the men. I go out of the, the town very rarely, and when I do, I start getting... So-and-so's in the hospital. So-and-so's in the hospital. So-and-so fell. This happened. I'm thinking, Lord, I I can't physically go be there. Why this timing? Why did it have to happen this week? But that's when he says, my grace is sufficient. You trust in me. You hope in me. It's not all about you, Mark. It's about the power that's working in you. Pray for them. Intercede for them. But don't be there holding their hand. But God, that's what, that's what I'm supposed to do. No, no, no. He goes, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm like, okay, forgive me, all right? I got my roles mixed up. I stepped over that line a little bit, God. 
But it's amazing how God will teach us little subtle lessons. So it's very important that we understand that we are here to make a difference. Unfortunately, I've had the opportunity to do a few funerals. And during these funerals, I always think that the eulogies are the most interesting part when you let somebody get up behind a pulpit and share their story. Because you never know. This is better than cable television. I'm going to tell you. I don't want you to go become professional funeral bearers, you know, and the professional mourners and all that. But some of these stories are really, really good. You're thinking, and that's good, you know? Yeah, he borrowed my car and never brought it back. I'm like, and we got over that or what? You know, is it like you're wanting it back? You're announcing to the family, I'd like my car back. But, you know, whatever it is, they'll normally say this. He was a really nice guy. Have you ever heard that? She was an awesome woman. She loved to bake. Okay? Wouldn't it have been great to say, I remember the time that we sat up all night and we made 500 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And then we went down to downtown Fort Worth and we just started handing them out to homeless people. There's some legacy that you go out. Do those homeless people remember that sandwich? Probably not. But it just said, he was a great guy, she was a good cook, or they were wonderful neighbors. To actually give some tangible evidence that we were there and we made a difference in people's lives. Because the body of Christ needs to get off the seats and into people's lives. We need to stop waiting for them to come to our church so that we can shake their hands and we need to get into their world that we can shake their world. That's what the world is looking for. They are looking for answers. They are looking for peace. We have the answer. I don't care if you're a brand new Christian. The answer is still inside of you. And we walk around with blinders on because we don't want to see the problems in other people's lives. So it's important that we understand this. You know, on election day, kind of a mantra that goes out is, I want my vote to count. But you know, one day I want to stand before God and say, I wanted my life to count, God. I mean, voting is very important. And you know my, my, my views and, and interest in politics and, and praying for our leaders. But are our lives making a difference? Are our lives counting for anything? And it's important that we understand. If you look at, and I'm going to be reading out of Isaiah 58 today. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the 58th chapter of Isaiah. But I want to give you a little background, as I always do before I read with passage. The first 39 chapters, which I'm not reading to you today. I just want you to know that. The first 39 chapters is all about God telling the children of Israel that they had lost their passion for Him. 39 chapters. Kind of depressing reading, I'm going to tell you. And then He starts talking about a Messiah that's going to be coming. But He has been telling him in these 39 chapters they'd made no difference in their world, they had lost their saltiness, and God's confronting them. Then in the last 27 chapters of Isaiah chapters 40 through 66, God offers them a message of hope. And I'd like for us to take a look at chapter 58 today because it expresses God's sincere hope and vision for His people. I'm going to be reading from verses 5 through 10. Please read with me if you have it. Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Should people humble themselves for only a day? Is fasting just bowing your head like a cattail and making your bed from sackcloth and ashes? 
Is this what you call fasting? Is this an acceptable day of the Lord? This is the kind of fasting that I have chosen. Now this is the Lord telling them. This is what He has chosen. Loosen the chains of wickedness. Untie the straps of the yoke and let the oppressed go free. And break every yoke. Verse 7, share your food with the hungry. Take to the poor and the homeless into your house and cover them with clothes when you see them naked. Don't refuse to help your relatives. Then, now here's where the promise comes. You see, this passage is saying, you're doing all the wrong things. This is what you should be doing, and this is the blessing that will come. Do you see it? It's like one plus one is going to equal two. And it says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for Him for help and He will say, here I am. Get rid of that yoke. Now here's an interesting passage though. Don't point your finger and say wicked things. That passage just didn't seem to fit. So I had to research that because it's like, wait a second God, you're on kind of a roll here. Where did that little intersection come into? But it says, don't point your finger... Um, and say wicked things. If you give some of your own food to feed uh, those who are hungry and to satisfy the needs of those who are humble, then your light will rise in the dark and your darkness will become as bright as noonday sun. Wow. Here is God's solution for us to fix a broken world. Now, at first, when you read this, you may have thought, wow, why is God against fasting? God is definitely not against fasting. In fact, if you know anything, God set feast and fasting times. And even today, those feasts are still honored on the calendars. Do you understand? There were times when they were told to feast and there were times that they were told to fast. And what he's saying to them is, you've made it into a ritual and there is no spiritual benefit for it. You're going through the motions, but you're not really understanding why you're doing it. There are times then when you should feast and celebrate. And we know that even Jesus celebrated Passover while he was uh, on this earth. There were many things that he, he uh, uh, accomplished during this time. But fasting is something that you don't hear a lot of messages about today. There's not a great book out on fasting right now that's in the Times, New York Times top selling. And a lot of times when people do talk about fasting now, it's more for purification and making your body stronger and getting out all the toxins in your body and such. But they rarely come at it about the time of just growing spiritually stronger. Now, at one point, Jesus was asked why his disciples didn't fast. And in Mark 2, verses 18 and 20, we read this. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Okay, So that's a normal thing during that time. They were fasting. In fact, have you ever thought about that if Jesus fasted for 40 days, why are we not talking about fasting? If Jesus needed it, who are we to think, eh, that's kind of Old Testament. Let's just think about this. So some people came to Jesus and said to him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples don't? Can't you imagine that question? Huh? I mean, that like a nosy neighbor. It's like, you know, everybody else mows your yard. Why, why aren't you? Never mind. Okay. Um, Jesus replied in verse 19. Jesus replied, Can wedding guests fast while the groom is still with them? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. So what you're seeing here is, he's saying, you know what, when the groom is here, it's a party time. Okay? We're celebrating, we're celebrating this union. But guess what? When that 
is no longer the case, that's when we'll fast. And when Jesus was with them, that was the time for them to celebrate, to be with Him. We've kind of taken and just gone the opposite. Jesus is now no longer physically here, but we choose not to fast or feast. In Matthew 4, Jesus Himself fasted for 40 days. And it became, with the children of Israel, what we're seeing here in the first part of Isaiah is that it's becoming a ritual, going through motions in this passage. And God mocks them. God is mocking them in this passage, is saying, is this the kind of fast you've chosen? One day you humble yourself, one, one night you sleep on the ground, and that's supposed to get my attention? You're not living a life that I've asked you to live, and you do this one day and you think you've self-justified yourself. Is this the activity? Is it a ritual? Is it a ceremony? Then you forget all about it. And we've done the same thing. We as Protestants don't really talk much about fasting. The Roman Catholic Church still does quite a bit of fasting. The Muslim world still does quite a bit of fasting. You understand this. I'm walking to have dinner with, uh, with several co-workers and I don't know how the topic came up, but one of them said, yeah, I, I did really well fasting this, this season for Lent. I said, what would you give up? He said, no, I'm going to tell you what he gave up and then I'm going to tell you, I didn't ask any questions after this, okay? I'm just going to tell you this. I said, what did you give up? He said, I gave up Dr. Pepper in intimacy with my wife. And my wife noticed that I stopped drinking Dr. Pepper. That's when I didn't ask any more questions. I'm serious. We're walking. I'm thinking, oh, and I had a bunch of them. I'm like, but I didn't go there. You know, I've thought about that on the plane. The point being, though, is they went through the ritual of the fast, but he never said how it affected him spiritually. It was like, yeah, I checked that off. It was like the to-do list that, yeah, I did this, I did this, I did this. It wasn't that his story was, I grew, I grew so much closer to God during this time. I truly realized that I hadn't been spending enough time in the Word. I truly spent time praying and, and seeking God's face. That wasn't it. It was just, I made it through that fast, through Lent. And I'm seeing that in the body of Christ today. We're going through the motions, but we're not seeing the benefit of it. Do you understand? Oh yes, we're going to conferences, but are we coming back changed? We hear or read a great book, but are we actually putting it into motion? And that's why God is mocking them saying, yeah, you're doing this and you're doing this, but let me tell you what I really want to see you be doing. And when you're doing this, you're feeding, you're breaking the yoke of bondage, you're helping people, you're making a difference, then you'll see an outpouring of my Spirit. Because that's what we just read, didn't we? Remember the 1 plus 1 is equal to? We all want this too. Man, we want that. We want our righteousness to shine. We want glory. We want to be able to call to Him and see an immediate answer. That's what we want, God. And He's saying, okay, then do the math. Oh, we don't want to do this. And, and I'm not real crazy about this, but I really want this, God. Bless me, God. Hear my cry. Let me say, curtains will be open and they'll open and everybody will be impressed. And then I'll get my own TV show. That's what I want, God. And he just shakes his head and says, Are you really thinking this? What have you done this week, Mark, to help anybody? So it's amazing how the Jewish people had gotten out. They were going through the motions but they weren't developing a closer relationship with God. They weren't seeking God's fire. They weren't seeking God's presence. They weren't going to His Word. 
and expecting it to speak to their hearts. Going through the motions. Fasting is a symbolic act. And why did God choose food? You know, I think it's truly to say that there are some things more important than this life right now. Think about it. What is something we all need daily? More so than the possessions. More so than the here and now. And God is saying, I am more than the physical needs of right now. Come, spend some time with me. The time that you'd normally prepare that meal, spend time with me. The time that you'd be going out and, and eating, just get on your knees. And sometimes just be silent. Have you ever realized how hard it is to be silent? Two weeks ago, I went down the lake and I was going to start praying and God just said, be silent. And I was like, but God, i got some stuff i got to tell you. Be silent. But God, just can I, I'll feel better if I tell you all this. Like he needs to verbally hear it from me, okay? Have we ever thought about that? That we have to express it, especially when, and God loves the King James. When we throw a few vowels and these in there, I think your prayers get elevated, more so than all the simple common prayers. I want you to know that. But, but God, I've got to tell you everything. Sometimes he's just going to say, would you just be still and know that I am God? And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart. Man, those are the experiences that I wish I, wish I could bottle it up and I wish I could just pour and, and pour it out on you. And you say, wow, that was an amazing experience with God. And say, come do it with me. Come on, we're just going to go sit down here. We're just going to be quiet. And we're just going to think about all the great things God's done. For how long, Pastor Mark? How much do you want? Would be my response back to you. You see, everything we think of is, well, how much would this cost? How much time would I have to do to actually have this, this feeling? It's important that we understand food is not our God. In fact, Matthew 4.4 4 is where Satan was coming and tempting Christ. And we all know this passage very well. And Jesus answered, and Scripture says, a person cannot live on bread alone, but every word that God speaks. You see what Jesus' perspective was on this? To, to be able... Okay, He has not eaten for 40 days. He was man, just like you and I. Okay? So don't say, well, He had this supernatural... He still hungered. And had the ability to say, chair, become meatloaf. And it could have happened. Do you know? It could have been Dixie meatloaf. Okay? We'll just go there. Okay? And I could just speak it and it would be done. And so Satan's come and say, look, wouldn't that be great right now? Wouldn't you love to have that? Come on. Just show me a little. You know, really, if you're who you are, do this. And his response was the word. He said, you know what? It's not about meatloaf. It's about understanding God's word. It's about understanding God's direction. It's about understanding the purpose of my life and why God brought me here on this earth. That's what Satan can't argue with, you see. Satan will love to argue over power and authority. But when you start bringing the word of God in, it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. He doesn't care about Oprah. It is written. He doesn't care about what Dr. Phil said. It is written. He doesn't care about what your doctor says. It is written. Okay? No matter what your spouse said to you, it is written. No matter what your boss is saying to you, it is written. No matter what that bill collector is saying, it is written. This is where we as believers have to go to the Word of God. And stop giving our opinion and saying, it is written. It is written. Do you understand the power of understanding God's Word? 
That's how we have peace when the world is, is in despair. But the children of Israel in this passage had reduced fasting to only a ceremony. Unfortunately, in today, some of it describes our devotion. It's just a ceremony. It describes why we attend church. It was just a ceremony. It's the way we go through worship. It was just a ceremony. It's the way we read our Bible as quickly as we can in the morning. It was just a ceremony. It's the way we throw a couple of dollars in the offering because it was a ceremony. Do you understand the one-dimensionalness of our actions? And when God wants us to be three-dimensional, Mark 7, 6 tells us this. Jesus told them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites in Scripture. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do you understand what that's saying? Man, and there's sometimes I hear great, eloquent ministries and uh, the sermons. And then we find out that all during that time, this was happening in their personal lives. And I'm saying, God, how could that beautiful sermon come off their lips when their heart was so full of hatred or unforgiveness or bitterness or there was sin? And I'm not judging them. I'm just saying, God, how is this? Man can just say beautiful things. But I always go back to, it is written. It is written. How did that speech, how did that sermon, what did that analogy, what did that new book line up with the Word of God? When, when new things are being introduced, new ways to experience Christ, new ways to get to heaven, whoa. It is written. It is written. It is written. Because it said that, that in the end days, there will be teachers that will, will teach the tickling ears. You know? And we're like, well, well, let's just hear it. You know, it'd be great. Get saved and lose 30 pounds. Come Sunday morning. Well, you know what? We'd have a line of people out there. They'd be coming more for the lose 30 pounds instantly. You know, we're having a miracle revival service and fat is just going to fall off your body. If we're just going through the ceremonies, God is not pleased. If we're just like that black and white cartoon, the first person that we described, being very selfish. I want to experience God in full color. I want to be moving. I want to be plugged in. I don't want to just go through the actions. I want to have passion. In order to serve a broken world, it begins here. It begins here. See, once we have a vertical relationship then we can have a horizontal relationship. Do you understand that? Once you have the proper vertical relationship, then we become very effective horizontal. Now, if that is not what we're seeing today in the body of Christ, where do you think we've gone wrong? The vertical. See, when we do this on our own strength and our own power without the anointing, there's no power behind it. Do you understand? If we go through the motions without love, and we all know what 1 Corinthians 13 says about us, going through the motions without love, that's all this. But when we have this, 
vertical relationship intact, then it is going to just flow out of us this way. You won't be able to contain it. When you are saying, God, give me your heart, give me your eyes, give me your ears, and He's placing you in situations and you know that you're being set up. You know that you are there for a reason. You know that, that all of this conversation is happening around you and you're like, I need to say something. But I don't want to, be, I don't want to offend anybody. We're too politically correct. What if I offend them? So yeah, let's just let them live in misery. That's a real good solution. Okay? They have no hope. They have no cure. But we don't want to offend them. That's like asking somebody in an accident, what color ambulance would you like? They don't care at that point. Just get them to a solution. Get them to the cure. Get them to Jesus. And they're not going to care about what version you're preaching to them in. Bring the Word of God to them. That's what's important. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four were all about this. Vertical relationships. Do you realize that? Go home and look on the plaque on your wall. The first four are this way. The other six are this way. But this came first. Right? Even the order of the commandments. And what we're doing is, no, we're just going to do this. And on Monday morning, I'm just going to pray a little bit and do this. No. We cannot function as a church that way. We cannot function as a body that way. It's important that we get priorities straight. It's understanding why we were saved. If we take this passion and relationship with God into real life, this is what was said earlier in the passage in Isaiah 58. We will loose the chains of injustice. We will set the oppressed free. We will share our food with the hungry. We will provide poor and shelter. We will clothe the naked and and we will not turn away from our own flesh and blood. And we will do away with the yoke of oppression and pointing the finger at wicked talk. Do you know what I mentioned how that kind of statement just didn't really fit in there? Look it up and it's saying, when you are doing good, don't judge them. Don't criticize them. Well, if you get a job, you wouldn't need to be here. That's not for us to point out. Well, if you'd stop having so many babies, you wouldn't need help. That's not for us to point out. Well, if you'd stop spending your money on drugs, that's not for us to judge. We are there to love them, to accept them, and to bring them in and teach them a way of Christ. But sometimes when we start going this way without this way, I want you to follow me on this, okay? When you're doing more of this and not enough of this, it's really easy to start pointing out fingers. Oh, let me tell you about this guy over here. Let me tell you about her. And let me tell you about what I heard. You see, because this is coming out of flesh. It's not coming out of spirit. When you are operating in the spirit, you don't care about them. You see them as Christ's child that he loves. And that Christ died on the cross for them. And that while we are yet sinners, Christ died. We didn't clean ourselves up to come. Oh, but I've never had to live in a box. Or I've never had to live in a gutter. You're blessed. But that doesn't make you a super saint. Do you understand? There is a hurting, dying world out there that has seen this in the body. And the reason why they are hurt and rejected is because the body of Christ was not getting this to pour out love. And that's why this passage that was so important was saying, don't do this, do this, and when you're doing this, 
don't criticize. And then you get this, the blessing. That's what we want. That's the way we want to function as a church. Get away with the attitude. Don't judge the people. Stop the malicious talk. Stop the gossip. Stop the bickering. Stop the fighting. This should not be taking place in the body of Christ today. So what are we doing in our life to accomplish God's purpose? How are we making a purpose? How are we making a difference? Matthew 25, verses 34 and 36 says this, Then the king shall come to those on his right. Come, my father has blessed you. Inherit the kingdom of God prepared for you from the creation of the world. Verse 35, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me into your home. I needed clothes and you gave me something to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Are we touching people's lives? You see, the whole story behind this is sheep and goats. It was very interesting. During the day, the sheep and goats were allowed to mix. But at night, they were separated. Okay? And what he's saying is, a lot of people who are going just through the motions and ceremony may not know what's ahead for them. Because they'll say, well, when did we see you, Christ, naked? When did, when did we see you hungry? And, and they go through their, their excuses. And he says, whenever you did it unto the least of these, you did it unto me. He gives a whole new perspective on homelessness. He gives a whole new perspective on, on single parents that are trying to just get through life. Situations, abuse, neglect, crack babies. They're still God's children. But we choose what we want to give and not to give and what we want to involve ourselves with. And God is telling us to find a need in somebody's life and to fulfill it. I'm going to give you a, a great poem from history. It's a poem that I memorized because I'm, I'm very smart. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And President Obama and all the king's horsemen and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. The world is looking to the government to put their world back together again. And it's not going to come through government and social aid. It's going to come through the church stepping up and doing what the church was called to do. It's time for us to stop acting like a social club. It's time for us to stop going through the motions. It's time for us to get off the couch, turn the TV off, and go get into actual life instead of watching virtual life out there. That's what it's time for the body of Christ to do. That's why God had you here this morning to hear this message. God had a plan and a purpose for you to be here today. Thank you so much. You see, in Genesis 3, there was a fall. And Romans 3.23 says, Because all have sinned, they have all, all fallen short of the body of Christ. Not certain countries have fallen short. Europe we love, and America we love, but everybody else just fell short of the... No. Everyone has fallen short. Everybody went through a fall. But what they're looking through to put themselves back together again is not out there. It's up there. Do you understand? We live in a broken world. 
so it's in time that we start recognizing the brokenness of people around us that only a relationship with Jesus Christ will heal. God has put your life back together. God has put your life back together. You may not feel like a super saint right now, but God still put your life back together. A lot of people are saying, I don't know my purpose in life. In fact, you might, not, you might even be thinking that. That's an easy one. Your purpose in life is to make a difference in other lives. How God chooses to do that is what you're going to have to discover through prayer and worship and spending time in the Word. But there should be no question on what is my purpose in life. Do you understand? So that when somebody speaks my eulogy one day, they'll say, this is what I remember of Mark. And this is what I remember of Mark. And this, and this, and changes that took place. Not that I love to eat, or I love cars, or I love my wife, or I love to tickle my kids. You know what? And I hate Brussels sprouts. And if I go to heaven before you, I will bring you some when you enter into heaven. Say, here's your Brussels sprouts. They taste better up here. I don't know what it is. But it's time for the body of Christ to get into motion and stop watching TV. Virtual life. Stephen McCovey, who's an author, motivational speaker, organization, he said this, he said, if enough people got involved we literally could solve our social problems. If enough people got involved, we could literally solve our social problems. I remember Keith Green said once that if the body of Christ would actually do all that we're supposed to do, we wouldn't need Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, okay? Because that's what the body... But what happens is when the church says, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to roll up my sleeves, the government had to come in. And we see what a great job they're doing at this. There shouldn't be satisfaction there because God's saying, that wasn't my first plan. You guys substituted it. And I'll tell you what, a substitute, and no offense to anything, a substitute is never as good as the real thing. Would you like meatloaf like meat? It tastes kind of similar to it. We can't tell you where it's from, but it's a good substitute. I don't like when fillers are in things that I know. And that's what we've done. We've substituted so many things of what God has called us to do to other people. There are two kinds of people. Remember I tell you, every once in a while I'm going to say something smart. You might want to write it down. Here it comes. You ready? There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who lift and those who lean. We are called to lift other people up because we've all gotten into just leaning onto others and it doesn't really help them. It doesn't change their lives. In fact, sometimes we help them fall because of our words, because of our pointing of the finger. It's very important that we understand that we are here to lift. We are here to make a difference in people's lives. We want to live life as that three-dimensional cartoon character that actually had movement. We saw a problem and we helped out. 
Do you remember the store owner was the one who received the most joy from that whole situation, but the store owner was the one who invested in that situation. Everyone else just got to hear the story. I don't want to hear about stories that's happening across this world. I want to be a part of it. Do you understand? And that's why God has you here today. Some of you probably put on your, your caring clothes and went out there and didn't have a great experience and said, you know what, I'm not going to do that again. It's time to get back up. It's time to do something today that brings happiness to someone's life. To bring joy. To help somebody's dream come true. It might even just be time for a beginning to start to say, have a neighborly greeting to start greeting your neighbors as you're driving down the street. How much would that freak them out? Okay? You don't have to yell or scream the gospel at them. Just start talking to them. Develop a relationship. Find out about their world. Figure out how you can help their world and then see what God's going to do. Because once we see a problem, we bring a solution, then there's God's blessing. I'm not preaching works. I'm teaching purpose. Because salvation does not come through works. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want to make you make an opportunity for you to make that decision. And if you feel like it's been a long time since you've had a, a conversation with God, this would be a great first conversation to start back with. And I'd like to lead everybody in a very simple prayer. And if you say that prayer and you mean it, today is a new day. Now you have a purpose for your life. The purpose in your life is to make a difference in somebody else's world. Very simple. How God wants to use you is up to your willingness and obedience to be used. See, I think God has unlimited potential for any of us who are willing to push that issue. And sometimes we get on level one and we back off. God said, man, I had level two, level three, level four, level five. And about an hour later, I had level 682, 683, 600. And we stopped at level two. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. You matter to God. You matter to God. And you may not understand why your world is the way it is today, but God does. And God works all things together for good. I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer. Because I said, Jesus Christ came to this world to become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And it is only through relationship with Jesus Christ that we have entrance into heaven. It's not through works. It's not through relationships. It's not through giving a certain amount of money. It's not because your family did something. It's not because your family has a building named after them on some church campus. It is through your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I'd like to lead you in a very, very simple prayer. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change our lives. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. Amen. Now you notice I changed something. For those of you who have been here for quite a while, I said change our lives. I pluralized it. Because you'll say, oh, i got to say this prayer again. You know what? While I got you praying, I'm going to have you start praying for other people. 
Some of you didn't catch that. I do. I want to speak a blessing over you. And as I speak this blessing over you, I'm even starting to speak this blessing in a different way. It's still the Word of God, but it's for you to find a way to make a change and a difference in somebody's world this week. In fact, I'd like for you to start praying that all of us would encounter a way that we made a difference in somebody's life. Not going through the normal routines. You know what? I'm going to buy my kids lunch today. I can't count that because I have to do that pretty much every day. But how would I make a difference in somebody's life? That's what I'm going to be praying for you this week. That you're going to encounter an opportunity. The Holy Spirit is going to make a realization that you have to make a difference in somebody's life. And you're going to experience some vertical joy that you have not encountered in a long time. If it's a priority to you, God is there. So may the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. So go now in His peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you.